This is Guns and Butter. Wall Street is essentially interested in acquiring real assets. And they have a lot of cash at their disposal. And at this particular juncture, what they're interested in is buying up the federal government at rock-bottom price. We already know that the House of Representatives has proposed a drastic curtailment of the food stamp program over a 10-year period. Just so happens that 10-year period is 2013-2022. We're talking about slashing something of the order of $40 billion over 10 years. So that that is essentially the basis of this government shutdown. It is a dress rehearsal of a 10-year program of austerity and privatization of the federal state system. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Michelle Chosodovsky. Today's show, Dress Rehearsal for Government Privatization. Michelle Chosodovsky is an economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization based in Montreal, Quebec. He is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism. Today we discuss the privatization of government operating through the process of fiscal collapse, the black budgets, war and Wall Street, the Federal Reserve Bank, shock and awe economics, IMF structural adjustment, the Washington Consensus, extreme austerity measures, the proxy state, speculative onslaught, regulatory capture, and financial warfare against the American public. Michel Chosodovsky, welcome. Delighted to be on, on the program again. In your new article, The Shutdown of the U.S. Government and Debt Default, a dress rehearsal for the privatization of the federal state system, you say that several overlapping political and economic agendas are unfolding. Is the shutdown implying the furloughing of tens of thousands of public employees a dress rehearsal for the eventual privatization of important components of the federal state system? How could the shutdown lead to the privatization of components of the U.S. government? Well, essentially, the shutdown implies the curtailment of state programs, and particularly entitlement programs. In other words, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps. And how does it operate? Essentially through what I describe as a process of fiscal collapse, namely certain categories of expenditure are in fact, favored by the Obama administration, such as defense. But also, if we go back to the 2008 crisis, it's the cost of the bank bailouts, which were in the trillions. Officially, the bank bailouts were of the order of 1.45 trillion. 
That's combining the Bush bailout, the Trouble Asset Relief Program, with Obama bailout. That was $1.45 trillion. Now, in 2009-2010, those bailouts were transferred to Wall Street. And there was a whole series of other bailouts which uh, belonged to black budgets, which were not recognized officially as transfers to the financial establishment, which were also eating up uh, the money, essentially eating up all the money, which normally would have been allocated to, to the regular government programs. So now if you combine, again, going back to 2008, but that structure prevails today, the bailouts, the handouts to Wall Street, plus defense, you add them up, there's no money left over for anything else. $2.3 trillion was spent on the bank bailouts and on so-called defense, which is the war economy. Total revenue of the federal government in fiscal 2010 was $2.38 So that, in effect, those two categories of expenditure were eating up the entire um, resources, financial resources of the federal state system. And that is... That is a significant element in the evolution of, of the budget crisis, which, of course, is now leading to a situation of possible debt default. Um, the fact that regular government expenditures are simply crowded out as a result of the fact that, that Wall Street has already stolen all the tax dollars and the military... Um, defense establishment, the so-called defense contractors, are feeding off the DOD budget uh, with something of the order of $650 billion a year, plus all the black budgets of the Pentagon, where you know several other billion dollars are being allocated to defense. So there we are. We're in a situation of um, budget crisis, of spiraling public debt, uh, where most of the money has been allocated to two categories of expenditure, namely war and Wall Street. War and Wall Street eat up the totality of federal government revenue. You write that the shutdown of the U.S. government and the financial climax associated with the deadline date leading to a possible debt default of the federal government is a money-making undertaking for Wall Street. How is it that Wall Street benefits from a U.S. shutdown and debt default? It's a money-making operation in several regards. First of all, Wall Street is going to pick up the programs which the U.S. government is unable to fund through its tax dollars. That's precisely what we call privatization. Now, it may be a de facto process of privatization. Uh, in other words, the insurance companies will pick up on Medicare. Well, they already are and Medicaid, um, state infrastructure, urban space, national parks, national monuments, 
will be sold off to private investors. Wall Street is essentially interested in acquiring real assets. And bear in mind, they make billions and billions of dollars through speculative trade, uh, through the movement of the stock market. And they have a lot of cash at their disposal. And at this particular juncture, what they're interested in is buying up the federal government at rock-bottom price. And that is the essence of, of, uh, of enrichment. Enrichment is not simply the enrichment through uh, money profits. It's the transformation of those money profits into real assets. It's the acquisition of government lands. It's the acquisition of buildings. It's the acquisition of state programs. And that is already happening across the land at the municipal and district level in that more than 100 municipalities, cities across America, are in a state of bankruptcy. You write that, quote, a staged default bankruptcy and privatization is occurring in Detroit. First of all, what do you mean by the word staged? Well, in the case of Detroit, uh, and we know this in view of the, the release now of, of the hip-hop mayor uh, who sank Detroit, um, that uh, Detroit was driven into bankruptcy through derivative trade. Uh, there was a mega swindle uh, of 1.4 billion in, in derivatives, which uh, cost Detroit, you know, a lot of money, and which literally drove it into bankruptcy. There are other causes of the Detroit bankruptcy, but essentially, cities across America are unable to um, to sustain normal programs, and what happens is that. Cities can be privatized. We saw in the case of Orange County uh, that there are many cases of, of cities literally being taken over by private investors, and that is what is happening in Detroit today. And then the question we have to ask ourselves, is that kind of scenario a possibility in the case of the federal government of the United States of America? I say, yes, it is. It may take several years to unfold. It will be in the form of concessions, in the form of partnership, uh, which already exists. But eventually, private investors will take control of, over urban space. They will take control over the roads. You know, the interstate highways will be privatized. The museums will be privatized. And eventually, social programs uh, will also be privatized. This is um, what you might describe as shock and awe economics. Okay, Now, shock and awe economics is nothing new. It goes back to the International Monetary Fund's structural adjustment program in the early 80s, which was applied to third world countries, and which obliged countries to privatize the state. And that model was based on what was called the Washington Consensus. It was a model of extreme austerity measures imposed on developing countries. And subsequently, in the 90s, we had a similar wave, which was uh, then applied to the countries of Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union, where these deadly macroeconomic reforms 
were imposed, and the state apparatus was in fact transferred to private investors who took over public infrastructure, state industries, telephone companies, water, and the sewer system, and so on. So that is the basis of privatization. In this article, you ask, quote, the important question, could a process of state bankruptcy, which is currently affecting local-level governments across the land, realistically occur in the case of the central government of the United States of America, which you've just gotten through mentioning? But is this really possible? After all, state governments can't print their own money, but the feds can. Well, the Fed, we must understand, is that the Federal Reserve is not owned by the government. In fact, it's the reverse. It's the government which is controlled by the Fed. And the Fed is made up of uh, a network of private banks, of which the New York Federal Reserve Bank is is the most important. Now, what we also notice is that uh, the Federal Reserve... Uh, is now controlling a significant portion of the public debt. In other words, it is, in fact, um, issuing currency in exchange for for treasury bills. And uh, the Federal Reserve banking network is, in essence, Wall Street, because the stakeholders of the Federal Reserve system are the major banking institutions. They own the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve operates under semi-secrecy. What we know and what is visible is the Federal Reserve Board, which is a government entity. But the actual banking is private. And in other words, in the United States of America, there is no real publicly owned central bank. And that means that The Federal Reserve is also a credit of the state, and the Federal Reserve, which in essence is Wall Street, controls the government budget, it controls the Treasury Department, and it sets the agenda. And in essence, what the Federal Reserve is doing today is similar to what the IMF was doing to developing countries starting in the 1980s. And in essence, the structural adjustment program of the IMF was a Wall Street process. Uh, Wall Street actually dictates to the IMF, and the IMF then imposes these conditions on developing countries. We have a very different um, institutional process to that which I've just described in the United States, Wall Street dictates to the U.S. Treasury. Uh, Wall Street is the credit of the state. It handles the, the debt. It imposes the conditionalities. And ultimately, the U.S. state apparatus is being privatized because it is under the brunt of uh, financial institutions, which at the same time are ordering the phasing out of the state uh, program. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. 
Today's show, Dress Rehearsal for Government Privatization. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Let's revisit the meltdown of Wall Street in 2008, which you have mentioned. What is significant to remember about that financial crisis? That financial crisis, in essence, set the stage for fiscal collapse. And that was in large part due to the bailouts, the tremendous amount of money transferred to Wall Street um, as a result of the 2008 meltdown, but also of a mounting uh, defense budget. And if you look at the figures, you have an increase of almost 70% of the public debt in a matter of five years. The public debt was something of the order of $9.9 trillion in uh, 2008, and it has now increased, uh, as we know, to, to something of the order of $16 trillion. So it's, it's a dramatic uh, increase in, um, in, uh, uh, in the public debt. And at the same time, what has happened is that there's been a widening budget deficit. Now, that winding budget deficit takes its roots in the 2008 crisis because essentially uh, all the uh, regular categories of expenditure, the entitlement programs, are not, no longer financed out of tax dollars. They're financed out of increase in the public debt. And as I mentioned, the, the tax dollars have essentially gone to financing Wall Street and financing the war. In other words, war and Wall Street. And none of those tax dollars were actually left over after 2008 to finance regular government programs. So we have a spiraling public debt. Um, and at the same time, we have a situation where there's a widening um, disparity between revenue and expenditures. Uh, in other words, a, a significant increase in the budget deficit since 2008. Uh, quantitative easing essentially is there to keep the boat afloat and to allow for, for the financing of those um, regular government programs out of um, out of the public debt through the issuing of, you know, of treasury bills and government bonds. And now we've reached a climax where the Obama administration wants to apply essentially shock and awe economics and reduce those spendings dramatically. I'm not talking about the reduction in defense expenditure. I'm talking about the regular government programs. Currently, uh, if we look at 2012, the budget deficit is of the order of 7 to 8%. Okay? And if we look at the so-called forecast, for the budget deficit, 
it is slated to go down to something of the order of 2% over a period of five years. So that for 2014, for 2014, the budget deficit is slated to be something of the order of 2%, uh, whereas, in fact, if you look at the, at the figures, you get a situation uh, where the budget deficit for 2012 is something of the order of 7%. So from 7% to 2% in, in three fiscal years, um, that's a drastic collapse in, in um, uh, public spending, which inevitably leads to uh, the underfunding of regular government programs. In fact, if we look at 2009, the budget deficit was 10%. So they're going from uh, from 10%. I'm, I'm talking about 10% of, uh, of GDP. In other words, 10% of GDP in 2009 down to 2% in 2014. And currently we're running around 6 to 7% uh, of GDP, which is the current budget deficit. So that what is contemplated in the forecasts is a drastic reduction of expenditure. And when they say forecasts, they're not actually forecasting anything. They're simply assuming that there's going to be some very drastic shock and austerity measures applied to reach that target. And that comes from the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office. According to your paper, the Congressional Budget Office estimates that the federal budget deficits through 2022 are now expected to shrink dramatically. How does the CBO come up with this rosy projection? Well, essentially, the CBO is assuming the adoption of drastic shock and awe economic policies. It is not making any scientific estimates or statistical projections. It is simply assuming that austerity measures will be installed and that major programs, major social programs, will be curbed, cut down, or simply eliminated. That is the conclusion to which I arrive at, because to implement that type of drastic curtailment in the budget deficit from something of the order of 7% of uh, GDP down to 2% of GDP in a matter of three fiscal years, you really have to slash, you have to apply the, the axe and cut down expenditures, and of course, uh, this leads to the curtailment of essential social programs. Uh, the estimates for the period 2013 to 2022, which, which they include, essentially imply a scenario of austerity, and privatization over a period of 10 years prior to the actual implementation of the policies and prior to the formulation of those policies, although many of those policies have already been uh, uh, identified. So you're saying that the CBO projections 
uh, um, are sort of giving away their policy strategy for the future. Well, absolutely, because uh, the CBO estimates are essentially based on austerity measures which have not yet been formally adopted. And, you know, any economist who, who reads those projections knows fair well that uh, what they imply, they imply the downsizing, phasing out, and or privatization of a large number of state programs, including Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. And at the same time, they imply the selling off of government assets, which are going to be used, you know, to finance this budget deficit. I think that's the background. And we already know that the House of Representatives has proposed uh, a drastic curtailment of the food stamp program over a 10-year period. Just so happens that 10-year period is 2013-2022. We're talking about um, slashing something of the order of $40 billion over 10 years. So that that is essentially the basis of, uh, of this government shutdown. It is a dress rehearsal of a 10-year program of austerity and privatization of the federal state system. Now, aren't a large part of the bank bailouts coming from the Fed, though, and not the government budget? Well, no, the bailouts, um, the bailouts essentially transfer money from the Treasury to the coffers of, of Wall Street. Uh, and um, the coffers of Wall Street are private banking institutions. Now, the irony is that these private banking institutions, which are the recipients of the government bailouts from taxpayer dollars, are also the creditors of the state. And they are also the stakeholders of, of the Federal Reserve System. So you have some kind of circular mechanism where the recipients of the bailouts are also the creditors of the state. So that essentially what they do, they steal the tax dollars, and then they create a situation of underfunding of government programs. And then they come back and they say, yes, let us, lend you the money from the money that we've stolen from the, from the tax dollars at the outset. So that essentially what the federal state is doing is funding its, it's funding its own indebtedness. It is handing money to the creditors, and then the creditors are then lending money back to the government. And that, that circular process has to be understood. It's, it's, it's the most fraudulent arrangement um, where the creditors are actually receiving government handouts on the one hand, and then they're lending the money back. <laughs> the money that they've stolen, they're lending it back to the government. And the Federal Reserve banking system and Wall Street is essentially the same entity, the same people. And as I mentioned, the so-called stakeholders of the Federal Reserve banking system are, in fact, the major Wall Street banks. Right. And could you explain then, you've, you've mentioned how the U.S. government is financing its own indebtedness. How is the U.S. government financing its own privatization? Well, <laughs> once the indebtedness has been spearheaded by the creditors who have stolen the tax dollars, 
They then come back and say, well, we will help you to sell off assets and cut government programs. And very often, very often the sale of, um, of public assets is actually supervised by major financial institutions. Um, we can look at the situation in developing countries where, you know, the IMF will order the privatization of telephone companies and, and, uh, and infrastructure and so on. And who supervises the sell-off? It's a major corporation, or it might be a, a major accounting firm or a major financial institution. And, and typically so that they will establish a privatization commission, so to speak, and they sell off the assets. Now, uh, essentially, they're selling off the assets to themselves. But the important thing is that those assets are always sold below their real value. Um, and so that the creditors create, they receive money from, from the government in the form of bailouts, then they use that money to put pressure on the government, and they also use that money to buy then subsequently the state assets which uh, the government is, is obliged to to put on the auction block uh, with a view to eventually, you know, funding its social programs and so on and so forth. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Dress Rehearsal for Government Privatization. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So then how does debt function in the process of privatization of state assets? Well, let me give you the example of Brazil. And in essence, this helps us understand what's happening in the United States. In the 1990s, major state corporations uh, were privatized under privatization uh, commission, which essentially was established on the orders of Wall Street. At the time, Citigroup was the largest creditor of the Brazilian state. Now, when they started putting up the sale of these, uh, of these major uh, government companies, one of them was called... Um, Compania do Valle do Rio Doce. It was a major company in, in the Northeast, which owned uh, forestry, minerals, uh, a, a major mega corporation with massive amounts of land and so on. The uh, uh, company of the Rio Doce, which is the, which is the name of a, of a river, okay? And it's, it's a whole valley uh, up in the Northeast of Brazil. Now, what happened? Uh, it just so happens that the major creditor, Citigroup, became the major shareholder of this mega corporation. And what did they do? They, they not only were the creditor of the Brazilian state, but they were also manipulating the, the price at which, uh, which these assets were sold uh, to potential buyers, and they themselves were involved in the acquisition of of this public corporation, very uh, large mega corporation, so that 
what's happening is that the, the creditors of Wall Street, if we go back to Wall Street, have created a situation of fiscal collapse starting in 2008, leading to an unsurmountable public debt. And now they are positioning themselves to buy out the government. In other words, they're going on a shopping spree. And I expect that in the years to come, major portions of the state system, including state assets, will be transferred to the private sector. They won't be transferred under normal market mechanism. They will be transferred under manipulative market mechanism, namely where, whereby um, certain prices will be set, whereby important sectors of the state can be taken over at, at a rock-bottom price and transferred into private hands. There are cases, actually, in, in developing countries where assets were transferred to U.S. companies at a negative price. It's the case of Korea. In Korea, Korea First Bank, which was a... Well, in fact, it was a private entity, which was then taken over by the state and then sold off to American investors, and that bank was actually sold at a negative price through uh, a manipulative mechanism whereby um, government funds were used to, to subsidize the new investors for the risk that they were incurring uh, through the purchase of Korea First Bank. It's a long story, but what I'm saying is that what we are now seeing in the United States is the possible privatization of the American state, the privatization of public monuments, museums, national parks, or the post office has indeed been raised in recent media reports as a possible solution to the debt crisis. But I think we should understand that this process of acquisition of federal public property will go much further than that and will include uh, the acquisition of, of infrastructure, state institutions, and possibly even entire government programs. Well, yeah. You, you write that um, the ultimate objective is to develop a full-fledged proxy state under the helm of the financial establishment. So we're talking about, ultimately, possibility of privatizing pretty much of everything, Right. Well, the proxy state exists already, so to speak. It, 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 you know, the Obama administration doesn't decide on anything. It, uh, decision-making in, in, uh, in the White House and the U.S. Congress is based on lobby groups. Uh, it's largely based on, on very powerful interests, Wall Street, the, the oil giants, the, the biotech conglomerates, Monsanto, uh, uh, you know, now, just the fact that J.P. Morgan Chase uh, meets up with Obama, you know, with other banking institutions just before the, I think that's really maybe a point that we have to make. Uh, uh, Diamond uh, made the statement that they were meeting with with Obama. Okay, they met with Obama on um, the first week in October. They met with with Obama. Okay, they have. Uh, control over over key members of Congress. But that, of course, that we know. 
this is the background. We already have a proxy state, but we still have public ownership of assets, and we still have um, a, a whole set of institutions which are functioning with public employees and so on, and they're functioning in the public interest. And I think what is happening is that the proxy state is being transformed into a proxy agency, so to speak. It's no longer a state institution per se. It will become an agency controlled by the financial establishment, which we'll call the shots. And that all these programs, uh, which are currently run by state institutions, with public employees uh, will be replaced by privatized entities or semi-privatized entities. Uh, and um, increasingly, the large corporations will be running uh, the public sector uh, and um, the, the public sector will be run as a, as a profit-making undertaking. Now, you follow up with the article, The Speculative Endgame, The Government Shutdown and Debt Default, a Multi-Billion Bonanza for Wall Street. How does government dysfunction lead to a speculative onslaught? Well, to get back to the, the issue of the shutdown and, and maybe to tie in the, the issue of privatization to, to the speculative onslaught, uh, let, let me put it in perspective, because when, when um, the whole issue emerged, uh, financial analysts had their eyes riveted on the U.S. dollar, and they were saying, almost in, uh, in chorus, that the government shutdown would lead to an absolute chaos, that the U.S. dollar would collapse, and they were basing this on what I would describe as um, economics 101 analysis of financial markets, whereby the U.S. dollar, given the levels of indebtedness, given the fiscal crisis, is a weak currency. Now, certainly the U.S. dollar is a weak currency, but the thing which they forget to mention is the fact that a weak currency can be pushed up and down through speculative uh, operations, namely derivative trade, and this has nothing to do with market fundamentals. You cannot analyze this situation today without understanding that Wall Street and the major Wall Street financial institutions not only control policy, they also have inside information on the outcome of policy, and they are able to use that inside information to place their speculative bets in financial markets, which they themselves manipulate. So that, in effect, what happened is that the financial establishment, which controls the outcome of legislation in the U.S. Congress was also placing its bets on the likely outcomes. And those, 
likely outcomes are going to take place over a period of several years, as we, we discussed. Uh, there's a framework of policy, shock and awe policy. Uh, there's likely to be another budget crisis later on with possibility of default, with a new debt ceiling which is reached. And in the meantime, the large financial institutions are placing their bets in an in a atmosphere of total instability, market instability. Mind you, they control this market instability. They can make it go up and down as they please through the use of derivative instruments. But at the same time, they are in a position to influence the outcome of policy so that, in effect, they're not making speculative bets. They're making secure speculative bets. Uh, speculators who don't have that inside information, who are not in a position to manipulate markets, who are not in a position to influence policy, will lose, they'll lose their money. Okay? It's the situation of the normal investor. If you don't know the outcome, you're not going to make any money. But the people who know what the outcome is going to be, who are able to influence it, and who are able to push markets in a particular direction through large-scale speculative operations, they are slated to make billions and billions of dollars um, as a result of this climate of instability. So that is what we have to address, is that these Wall Street institutions are not only the recipients of the bailouts. They're not only creditors of the state, and as, as we discussed, they're not only uh, slated to take over state property through a privatization program, they are also major speculators. They are institutional speculators in that they can make billions and billions of dollars on the market outcomes underlying uh, this process of, of economic instability and, and fiscal crisis. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Dress Rehearsal for Government Privatization. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Right, uh, because you write that, uh, quote, there is no such thing as normal market movements. The outcome of the government shutdown on financial markets cannot be narrowly predicted by applying conventional macroeconomic analysis, which excludes outright the role of market manipulation and derivative trade. This is what you're saying, right? Well, absolutely. You know, what is taught at the university level in economics is that supply and demand, that there's an adjustment taking place, there are market forces. Now, what we read in the financial media and what we are led to believe is that there will be terrible consequences if the United States defaults on its debt and that this could affect the U.S. dollar. But, of course, those terrible consequences are in a sense, also engineered by the creditors, but they're also engineered by an atmosphere of media disinformation, uh, which is predicated precisely on these 
authoritative economic uh, assessments based on on market analysis, but the market analysis never says that uh, the banks are manipulating the market. And I was struck by the fact that the chief executive of, of J.P. Morgan Chase at a major event uh, held in Washington just prior to the to the decision on, on the shutdown was uh, warning of terrible consequences if the United States defaults on its debt. Okay? And then they, they essentially was saying, uh, you know, uh, uh, we're going to have a very dramatic situation. We're going to plunge the world into another recession, etc., etc. But what he does not mention is that his bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, has the ability to move the dollar up and down through speculative trade. And if there is going to be a plunge in the dollar, it's a plunge in the dollar which will be the result of market manipulation. And these institutions are known to push the dollar up and push it down and place their bets accordingly in an upward or downward movement. They're still slated to make uh, money on, on their financial investments because they are also privy to the outcomes of economic policy and they are also major actors in the formulation of economic policy. And they control the financial media, which actually um, releases this type of information. Now, it's not by accident that Bloomberg is on the, you know, on the Forbes 500 list. Very wealthy man, very wealthy family, and essentially also a family which controls the Wall Street consensus as it is transmitted to the broader public through, you know, frequent uh, news reports on on financial developments and so on. In, in other words, we have a situation where the the assessment of what actually moves the market uh, is controlled by the financial conglomerates, who also control the financial media, whether it's Bloomberg or the Wall Street Journal. And uh, essentially, all these assessments exclude outright uh, the notion that the financial establishment can manipulate the market, as well as mislead the public as to what is actually happening on those markets. Well, yeah, and and you write that, uh, a quote, it should be emphasized that these major financial actors not only control the media, they also control the debt rating agencies, such as Moody's, and Standard and Poor. Didn't Standard and Poor just come out and say that they were going to, or maybe it was Moody's, that they were considering downgrading the rating on the U.S. government? Well, precisely, if Moody's and Standard and Poor uh, downgrade the, the debt on a particular, well, a particular government or change their debt rating, well, immediately this will have effect on financial markets. Uh, when Moody's makes a statement to the effect that they're going to downgrade the government debt, but they don't implement that, that obviously uh, misleads the public as well as stockbrokers who don't have inside information. And those who do have inside information can make a bundle of money because they know that Moody's is not going to downgrade. So that... The, the fact that they announce that there's going to be a downgrade and they don't implement it 
sends a message to the broader public, but at the same time, it also protects the powerful investors in Wall Street, which know and have advanced knowledge of the fact that Moody's is not going to downgrade the public debt of the U.S. government. A quote from one of your articles, quote, it is worth mentioning that immediately following the adoption of the Financial Services Modernization Act in 1999, the U.S. Congress adopted the Commodity Futures Modernization Act of 2000, which essentially exempted commodity futures trading from regulatory oversight. Is this how the price of precious metals, oil, etc., is controlled? Well, the price of precious metals and all major commodities is controlled and manipulated by derivative trade. It means that essentially there's no regulation. They can simply do what they want. They can push it up and down. And that piece of legislation was adopted in the wake of the Financial Services Modernization Act, uh, which was a major piece of legislation reached at the end of the of the Clinton administration. Uh, the issue of the Commodity Futures Modernization Act of 2000 is very important because they can also manipulate the price of food. They can create a situation where the price of agricultural staples simply goes fly high. They're speculating on the increase. And that is precisely what happened in the mid-2000s when uh, the manipulation through derivative trade led to a dramatic increase in the price of basic food staples you know, from 2006 onwards. And this also led to food riots and hunger throughout the developing world. It's fairly well documented so that it's a very diabolical process to be able to manipulate the price of fuel, the price of food, uh, thereby essentially nullifying the normal market mechanism. We tend to say, oh, you know, the price of food is determined by supply and demand, or the price of oil is determined by supply and demand. And then we revert back to the normal market mechanism, which is taught in Economics 101. But it doesn't work that way. Take the example of crude oil. The cost of crude oil in the Middle East is exceedingly low. It, in some cases, lower than $10 a barrel. Yet the price of crude oil on the market is something of the order of $120 a barrel. Uh, the, price of, the price of gasoline is exceedingly high across the United States. And yet, if you bear in mind that one barrel of oil, which has a cost of $10, is equivalent to more than 30 gallons of oil. So that if we were to apply market fundamentals to the oil market, oil at the pump would be exceedingly low. And it's only through market manipulation that they've pushed up the price of crude oil, 
because the price of crude oil at $120 a barrel bears absolutely no relationship to the actual cost of oil, which is of the order of $10, $15. And in the case, let's say, of the tar sands, it may go up to 25 or 30 But essentially, market manipulation by powerful institutional speculators has pushed the cost of fuel up. And at the same time, this has led to the impoverishment and the bankruptcy of uh, small and medium-sized enterprises, you know, across the United States, which depend heavily on, on gasoline and on fuel uh, for their production. Now, how could this financial speculation, financial crisis, how could this crisis be averted or solved? Not that they would ever implement such a thing, but there are ways to correct this, aren't there? Well, I think what has happened since the 1980s is the phasing out of government regulation and the transferring of regulation to those who are being regulated, so to speak. I think we have to go through stages. And the first important step in reforming the financial system is to freeze derivative trade and essentially to dismantle the speculative apparatus. Okay? And why? Because the speculators ultimately are calling the shots. And they are applying the instruments of financial warfare against the public. They are impoverishing people uh, by pushing up the price of food or pushing up the price of oil so that what we have to do as a first step is essentially to freeze derivative trade and derivative debt cancel the derivative debt and this will then subsequently lead us into other types of reforms admittedly this is a reform of the capitalist system But nonetheless, at this particular stage in in U.S. history, I think it's absolutely essential that it be addressed. And we have to tame Wall Street. And we also have to um, examine the role of the Federal Reserve System, uh, which um, is overshadowing the government. One important instrument of macroeconomic reform is, is ultimately to nationalize the Federal Reserve System, and instate a publicly owned central bank, which can then uh, support the government in terms of its various social programs. This is not a radical reform, but it is an important uh, avenue of economic change, which has to be adopted if we're going to move forward Uh, It certainly still um, implies uh, the maintenance of capitalism, but eventually it could lead to other more uh, substantive reforms.
I've been speaking with Michelle Chosarovsky. Today's show has been Dress Rehearsal for Government Privatization. Michelle Chosarovsky is director of the Center for Research on Globalization, based in Montreal, Quebec. The Global Research website, globalresearch.ca, publishes news articles, commentary, background research, and analysis on a broad range of issues. Michel Chosarovsky is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism, as well as numerous articles. He is a co-editor and contributor to a new anthology, The Global Economic Crisis, The Great Depression of the 21st Century. Many economists and investigative journalists have contributed to this new volume. Visit the Center for Research on Globalization website at www.globalresearch.ca. That's globalresearch.ca. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaro Mako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com or faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. That's gunsandbutter.org. Trying to steal your life.